0: Particularly amongst our senior clients, we often see hearing loss go undiagnosed for many years and it's mostly just because it's not picked up. The behavioural responses like not engaging or maybe self-isolating, those types of things can often be misinterpreted as maybe just ageing or forgetting things or not being able to engage for as long as they maybe once used to. And then hearing loss often gets overlooked as a cause of those Behavioral symptoms.
1: Silver Adventures is a content and technology company dedicated to improving the lives of older adults through immersive virtual reality experiences. And this podcast is our opportunity to hear from industry experts, thought leaders, and passionate individuals to share with you their knowledge, expertise, and experiences. Welcome to the Age Care Enrichment Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show, my name is Ash Deneef and today we're talking about hearing loss and deafness with the help of Liz Baldwin. Liz is a clinical audiologist and manager at Expression Australia, a not-for-profit created for the deaf community by the deaf community. A lot of her work is in helping older adults through their hearing loss journey as well as providing tools and support to her clients and their families to adapt to hearing loss. If you're a care worker or working in the age care industry, this is a great episode for understanding how hearing loss is not just a communication problem, some early signs of its development, and how to best assist those people who are experiencing hearing loss. If you listened to the last two episodes, you'll remember that we're celebrating the podcast's one year birthday. <coughs> and for the final time, the mid-episode break will be featuring some messages from friends of the show and even a special musical guest all the way from the UK. But that's it from me for now, so we hope you enjoyed this episode on hearing loss with Liz Baldwin. Hey Liz, thank you so much for joining us on the program today.
0: Thank you, thanks for having me.
1: It's a real pleasure, and we're going to talk about hearing loss and, and deafness today, but maybe before we jump right into that, can we give our listeners a bit of your background and, and the work that you do?
0: Yeah, so I myself am a clinical audiologist. Um, I work for Expression Australia, so us as a larger organisation, we work for for the deaf and hard of hearing. We're huge advocates for Auslan and deaf culture and majority of our work is around creating accessibility for people who are deaf and hard of hearing. So we work heavily within the National Disability Insurance Scheme sector, so supporting clients that are on NDIS and also people that receive no funding and are supporting themselves in their hearing healthcare journey. Our wider organisation has a couple different services. So I work as a part of the audiology. So we're an adult rehab program. So Mm -hmm. seeing people who are 27 years and older, we provide interpreting and captioning for people that use Auslan. Uh, We provide support work services for people who are on NDIS plans and navigating that new world. We have Auslan classes available for anyone that wants to learn Auslan. We do workplace training. That's a really important part of what we do. So, again, tying back into that hearing awareness and, you know, if you're a hard of hearing or a deaf person working in a predominantly hearing workplace, um, providing support and training to your staff so they can understand your needs. And we have an employment assistance program. So, again, assisting those people who find barriers to employment because of maybe their hearing loss to Sort of get back out into the workforce and find something that would be suitable and catering for their communication needs. Um, but I myself work in a clinical setting, so an audiology clinic. So still working a couple of days clinically seeing clients, and then the remainder of my time spent managing our department, our audiology department here. So sort of the best of both worlds.
1: Fantastic. And so seeing patients one on one, and and also working across the department. I'm sure you're working with a lot of older adults. In what sort of situations are you often working with them?
0: Yeah, so majority of our clientele would be older adults. Majority of people over the age of 60 to 65, it's one third actually of people over the age of 65 will experience a hearing loss. Mm. So majority of our clients do fall into that age bracket. So I myself see them in a clinical setting. So most of the time they're coming here maybe as their first experience to understanding a bit more about their hearing or where their hearing and communication might be at or otherwise I might be seeing someone a little bit further down their hearing or hearing loss journey, and it might be at the stage of fitting devices to um, help rehabilitate that and provide them the accessibility back into their day-to-day life.
1: Mm, fantastic. And, and for someone who might be just at the start of their hearing loss journey, what sort of treatments and interventions are you running?
0: Yeah, so we're an adult rehab clinic, um, so our goals are to provide knowledge around hearing loss and how it can impact your day-to-day life, both for the person experiencing the hearing loss and for their significant others um, or the people that they are communicating with day-to-day. Most of the time if a hearing loss is identified to the point that it is impacting your ability to communicate daily um, or go about your daily tasks at work, listening to the TV, taking phone calls, those types of things, Technology would usually be the main mode of rehabilitation, so that could be in the form of hearing devices, um, hearing aids, so something that's ear worn, or assistive technology. So that's more around sort of devices and products that can help create maybe safety and awareness within your home. Things like flashing towers to alert people to a doorbell chime rather than an auditory chime. Mm-hmm and also assistive technology in the means of uh, microphone systems that help transmit speech over distance for, say, a classroom setting or if someone wanted to attend a lecture hall or something along those modes. So communication via the assistance of technology is mostly the work that we do.
1: Mm, Fantastic. And communication... I can see being one of the big factors or elements of human life that's going to be at risk with hearing loss. Mm. What other things are affected by the loss of hearing?
0: Yeah, so particularly amongst um, our senior clients, we often see see hearing loss go undiagnosed for many years and it's mostly just because it's not picked up. The behavioural responses like not engaging or maybe self-isolating, those types of things can often be Misinterpreted as maybe just aging or forgetting things mm. or not being able to engage for as long as they may be once used to. And then hearing loss often gets over- overlooked as a cause of those behavioural symptoms. So it can often take up to seven years for someone to come in once a hearing loss has probably actually started to set in wow. or to take action on that hearing loss. And those behavioural symptoms may have been there for around that amount of time, but it's just hearing loss isn't the common link that people think of between those two factors. So by the time someone comes and sees me, we often hear that it is sort of social interaction is what they're starting to miss out on. They'll say things like, I'm not enjoying socially interacting as much. It's a lot of effort. Then we often hear that this results in social isolation or they tend to just withdraw or not engage as often as they used to. Often withdrawing from things they once loved, if they, you know, attend, a lecture or a theatre or music concerts and things like that, weekly or monthly, and they're often withdrawing from things like that also. You can see it in other behavioural ways. It can come down to things like being quite irritable or, you know, sometimes getting quite upset or depressed. Just because, you know, we're humans, we need that connection and that communication and that's what's become so difficult for these people, particularly people that are gradually losing their hearing over those ageing years. We often find that it's mostly sort of a behavioural response due to the hearing loss.
1: Yeah, well, that's that's very interesting. And I think before this discussion, I had this assumption that hearing loss might be something that's quite easy to identify, mm. like, oh, you know, grandpa's not hearing so well because he's not responding in the way I expected, but mm-hmm. it could be interpreted as a myriad of other things. Yep. Can you maybe just for those people who either work in aged care or might have somebody who's behaving a little bit differently than usual, can you point out some things or some questions that they can ask to ascertain if it's hearing loss?
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. So I I for many years did home visits or visiting people within residential care and it often is something that is overlooked. It's just the lack of education and sort of awareness that is currently delivered to aged care facilities or residential homes. But I would often attend and meet with a hard of hearing person for the first time and it might have been the first time that anyone had actually sat and asked, you know, is this what you're experiencing? Can you actually hear the TV? Do you find yourself maybe just agreeing for the sake of agreeing? And you'll often see in the person that it's their first time realising that that is what they're doing. Because hearing loss can be so gradual and over time, I think we often just adjust our behaviour. We just think, oh, I think everyone finds it a bit hard to hear at the dining table. It's noisy. It's an echoey environment. And so you just sort of start to compensate for things. And yet not is until someone actually starts asking you maybe why you're doing those things that it is almost like a light bulb moment. So whenever I talk to staff within those residential homes, it is just about taking the time sitting with the person and asking them, did you not come out to the dining room table today because you're uncomfortable out there? Or, you know, is it about, are you able to communicate? Is it a comfortable environment for you to communicate in? Is there any way that we could make it more comfortable for you? You know, sometimes the smallest things like offering to move them to a table that has a wall beside them or that they can sit near the window. Um, Or somewhere that's a little bit well lit so that they can see visual cues or a bit more lip reading or just simple things like turning the television or the radio off that's in the background to make speech a little bit more audible. So I think just identifying why they withdrew because that's often the first sign you'll see them not attend a group, don't come to morning tea, don't come to lunch. So asking those questions, I suppose, and then, yeah, offering a solution or if they haven't seen an audiologist since they've been in care, it's well worthwhile. Um, Sometimes it could be down to the smallest things of ears are blocked, wax builder, Mm. and honestly that can can make a world of change, just seeing an audiologist and getting those things identified.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, you know, those conversations can be kind of tricky to have, I imagine. You know, Mm. I'm sure everybody's had that situation where you meet someone new and they go, how are you? And you say, yes, (laughs) and you don't really... You do the awkward thing and and getting called out on that is quite hard. So to have somebody ask, are you really following here? That's right. Could be quite a difficult conversation, right?
0: Yeah, that's right. I agree. But yeah, I think a lot of the time I see once a client gets into my room, they're just so thankful that someone has almost confirmed that it is hearing loss, Mm. that it's not them just, you know, drifting off and not being able to stay focused. Um, We know all these things. We know that hearing loss creates a much more demanding cognitive load for the person. Engaging, particularly when there's noise, can be very tiresome. It's a lot of effort and it takes the fun out of it, to be honest. So that Mm. often leads to such high rates of isolation or withdrawing. So, yeah, I think if you've got the confidence to sort of gently approach the situation or maybe just probe to see if that was why that was occurring, I think more often than not you'll find that the person will be really grateful and happy to be supported in that area.
1: Absolutely. And uh, it reminds me of actually a, a story. A member of my family has a friend in, in residential aged care and they, they write letters to each other. Mm. And the friend who's in the aged care is... I'm not not sure what stage in her hearing loss journey she's at, but it's quite hard for her to to interact. And she's writing to her friend and saying that people treat her as if she has cognitive decline and they start behaving around her as if she's not aware of what's going on, even though it's just a communication issue. Yep. I can see all sorts of knock-on effects like this, right?
0: Yep, absolutely. So, yeah, there's a lot of people that, again, like we said before, the misconception that there's, yeah, memory loss or cognitive decline or something else occurring before we've even got the hearing checked Mm -hmm. and yet can often be overlooked. And then saying that it's also an association factor. So, again, it highlights the importance of getting hearing checked and being on top of that. The research is very much still underway and ongoing for this area, but there is a lot of research currently and the data is showing that hearing loss and cognitive decline have an association. Mm -hmm. Whether it be that there's, I suppose, sort of two theories at the point in time that the cognitive load theory would argue that the declining cognitive capacity first increases the cognitive load, then resulting in a sensory loss. Mm -hmm. And then the other way around, the sensory deprivation hypothesis, it would propose that the hearing loss leads to permanent deterioration of cognitive functions just because of the extra load and the resources required to engage and communicate. But, yeah, you're completely right. People often misconstrue that it's the cognitive decline occurring first, but we do often see this, that once rehabilitated or given access back to hearing at a conversational level, that person becomes bright again. They become engaged again. Mm -hmm. Communication becomes easier. And, yeah, the things like what people might have thought was memory loss is actually just that they misheard or they didn't hear you so they didn't actually receive that information. All those things tend to sort of improve.
1: Yeah, fantastic. There's there's some clear correlation there.
0: Yes.
1: Whether one causes the other, we're not sure yet, but they go hand in hand, right? That's right, that's right. Changing tack a little bit here, I, I can see that for older adults who are hard of hearing, there might be two different experiences between those who've experienced hearing loss their entire life or deafness And those who develop symptoms later in life, what are the experiences? How how do they differ, those two experiences?
0: Yeah, so here at Expression, uh, we work with both parties. We work with people that are congenitally deaf, people that have chosen Auslan as their main mode of communication, or people that have grown up in, say, the oral world and have used assistive technology. And then, yes, the people that would maybe fall into the category of hard of hearing and have experienced sensory decline over time. I think the biggest difference would be it's just the accessibility. So there's complete barriers for both of those parties. People that use Auslan, interpreters are required, captioning is required, all those types of things. But there is a mode of communication being Auslan as their first language.
1: Mm.
0: But for majority of the clients that I see, as they start to gradually lose their hearing, that's their lifeline. So the only mode of communication they have is orally and then taking in oral stimulation. Mm -hmm. So the moment that's gone, they rely on technology to rehabilitate them most of the time. So I think often it's about having the community of people that understand the hearing loss, so knowing how to communicate with someone that's now experiencing hearing loss to a degree where maybe noisy environments aren't applicable to them anymore. Um, Lip reading might now be a really important factor to ensuring they can communicate as best they can. Just managing hearing aids in general. So making sure that their hearing aids are charged or that they've got new batteries on them and all those types of things so that they can engage throughout their day. And then, you know, it comes down to little things that lots of people with normal hearing wouldn't think of. For a hard of hearing person who has no other language option, if captioning isn't available, often they won't be able to take in that information. So Mm -hmm. for people that are engaging in study or learning or anything that's delivered in say an auditory sense, captioning would need to be available or it would need to be available in a written format. So yeah, all those little things that we just sort of take for granted and is what they once used being a hearing person and then having their hearing decline on them over time.
1: Right, so it sounds like coming into this new world of being hard of hearing is. It brings its own challenges, whereas if you've experienced that for a long time, congenital deafness, as you're saying, that you have a system and, and you have some clearer resources around you.
0: That's right. Absolutely. And I think being born deaf, if you have taken the Auslan pathway, so language, you have your own language and you understand your language and there's a community of people that have those language skills also, there is absolutely barriers to the wider community with Auslan not being known by everyone or interpreters not always being accessible for all formats of information. But, yeah, then you've got those people on the other side that they sort of lose their ability to utilise their language and so they sort of are maybe possibly stuck for a little bit in time until they sort of figure out what technology works for them or whether they do decide to sort of take up another avenue of learning Auslan or onboarding that language. But I think for both parties, it really is about the hearing awareness and involving the wider community so that people know that captioning makes things accessible to all. That, yeah, providing visual cues or providing interpreting where needed or the technology where needed to ensure that person can participate and have access like everyone else can. Hi, guys, Karen Etkin here. I'm the creator of the Gerontechnologies.com, which is a media platform that covers the global age tech ecosystem. This is Kelly Stramberg, principal with LE3 Solutions. And we do strategic advising and consulting for everything resident engagement.
1: Hi team, David Scott here, associate professor at the Institute for Physical Activity and Nutrition at Deakin University.
0: This is Michelle Olson, founder of Evergreen Minds, an organization that believes people are meant to regularly experience fresh air and nature, and this innate connection shouldn't end because we grow older or develop cognitive changes. Cheers to your one-year anniversary silver adventures and all the important work you're doing in aged care. Congrats on your one-year anniversary. I wish you Many, many more. I'd
1: like to say congrats to all at the Aged Care Enrichment Podcast on your one-year anniversary, and uh, keep up the great work. Happy
0: anniversary, guys, and I look forward to much more coming from you all in the years to come.
1: Your weekly podcast has grown up so fast. It's time to celebrate. Venture experts, their ages just leave. There, about lip reading and and body language and Mm. and these sorts of practices that can increase the comprehension of communication. What are some other areas in which care workers can really tailor their service and and what they're doing to, to people who are hard of hearing?
0: Yeah, so you're right. Lip reading is a huge part of people's ability to communicate when they're hard of hearing. It provides the visual cues, provide the emotion and the intonation and all those sorts of things. Then, what to what we would usually take in in an auditory sense. But again, I just think it becomes more around awareness and knowing what that person needs to get through their day. So, if we talk about in a residential or an aged care setting, ensuring that you understand how they use their products or their technology and that they do need them every day, ensuring that you maybe know a little bit of troubleshooting, how to clean the device or how to make sure it's on or off Mm -hmm. or how to change a battery or how to charge the product, all those things. Because it might sound like a simple task, but for someone to wake up in the morning and their products not be ready to go, um, you know, they're pretty much off the air for that day. They're not going to have a positive day. They're not going to be able to communicate as well as they usually would be able to. So, yeah, I think just that awareness of being able to know that person's routine, assist them where needed and to be able to provide that support if it is needed. And that's a huge part of what we do here at Expression. We often say to our clients, you know, bring along your significant other. We'd love to meet the family members. Who do you live with? Um, All those types of things because the more people that can take on the sort of knowledge of what we do here, how we set up this technology for this type of scenario, how we can use the microphone system if, you know, if I take mum or dad to the theatre on the weekend. It just takes the pressure off the hard of hearing person Mm. and, you know, releases that feeling of them feeling like they're a burden, that there's a little bit to set up or I've got to sit over here because that will help me hear a little bit better if everyone sort of understands that person's communication needs, I just think it makes it a much more positive experience for both parties.
1: Absolutely. And it's not that different from everybody's got their own kind of needs in certain situations. Yeah. I know I get very easily overwhelmed in loud environments. If I'm in the middle of the city or something, I often wear earplugs because that's yep. quite a kind of overwhelming thing for me. So to have the family come in and talk with the audiologist and it might just normalise and go, okay, well, we're just going to do this thing now. It doesn't have to be a big deal.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Just takes the pressure off.
1: Mm. And to ask potentially a silly question, Mm. I think when people uh, talk to someone who's hard of hearing, they often raise their voice and they speak slower. Is that of any value?
0: No, not always. So most of the time it's just about clear speech. So raising your voice is not always helpful. Majority of the time for people who are hard of hearing, The louder things get, the more distorted it can be. Mm. So there's usually a nice sweet spot that keeps speech to become nice and clear and audible. It more is about sort of just taking the time to face the person, so always looking at someone when you're communicating with them. Mm -hmm. And if they ask you again, usually just slowing down, not usually making anything louder than it was previously. And, yeah, and, again, just about the environment, being conscious. Is there, you know, a really noisy conversation going on behind me? If I just turn my back to that so the person who's hard of hearing doesn't have to be facing the noise, all of those things make it a lot easier.
1: Wow. So it sounds like having a lot of sensitivity to going what's going on around you is really going to help.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Just being aware of the communication environment if that person feels like they might be challenged there.
1: Awesome. Are there any kind of new programs or initiatives in in this space, particularly within aged care or sorry, within care for older adults that's coming out at the moment that, that you find exciting?
0: Yeah, I suppose the biggest thing I would touch on is the technology side of things. So if you're finding that your hearing loss is declining over time or you're not hearing as well as you once were, technology today is just made leaps and bounds from the last sort of 10 to 20 years. The biggest thing we're hearing from clients that are getting new hearing aids or getting the new assistive technology is that they're now able to do the things that they once weren't able to do. So, you know, they can hear their grandchildren now when sitting in the back of the car. Mm. They can go to the restaurant and still engage and have a good time and not feel overwhelmed or as overwhelmed by the noise. Technology is incredible now. Most hearing aids are rechargeable, so they're less fiddly. Batteries and things aren't always required. They're Bluetooth enabled, so we're seeing more and more people be able to stream their phone calls through their devices. They can connect to their computers, their laptops. Wow. Uh, they can connect to other streaming services that would stream their television into their hearing aids. So it's just created this huge amount of accessibility for almost all communication sources. Yeah, so the technology has made huge difference.
1: But with the Bluetooth devices, like if you had a Bluetooth enabled TV, is the sound still coming out of the device or is it just going straight to the hearing aid?
0: Yep, so it would do both. So it would be able to come just out of your normal TV speakers. So, you know, any other hearing person in the room would just be listening to the television like normal. And then the hard of hearing person would be receiving it through their hearing aids, just like if you were wearing Bluetooth enabled headphones.
1: Wow, that's fantastic. And I can see that maybe there are, like you're talking about microphones, would this be similar technology that you can Bluetooth between if I was wearing a microphone to someone else's hearing aid?
0: Yeah, that's correct. So there's technology that's designed for distance or designed for noise. So even though, you know, hearing aid technology has made leaps and bounds, we know that really noisy restaurants and environments are still going to be very challenging. Like you said, they're challenging for hearing people. So there is another sort of realm of technology that's designed for those scenarios so they can stream speech over many, many Mm metres and using the Bluetooth feature also. Um, And similar scenario, if we were at a dinner party, there's a microphone system and they're all nice and discreet that you could pop in the middle of the table and it would only be sort of working at a one metre radius and it would be picking up all those voices and sort of filtering out the noise and sending that speech directly to the hearing aid wearer.
1: Wow, that's amazing. That must have come a long way in the last, as you said, 10 years.
0: Yeah, it has. So we're seeing, you know, people that have been long-term hearing aid wearers who are upgrading their hearing aids within the last sort of, yeah, 10 to 5 years, mm. the benefits are, and the access for them has just been life-changing.
1: Do, is there any kind of technological advancements in the detection of hearing loss, you know, being able to assess where somebody's at?
0: Yeah, so, um, well, I suppose... You know, a couple of years ago or probably about 10 years ago now, the newborn hearing screening became compulsory in Australia. So all newborns are screened at birth. And I suppose in the means of diagnostic testing, it's forever evolving. So diagnostic testing for hearing is extremely thorough, very accurate, and it's always ongoing. So, you know, when someone on boards into their hearing journey, they would usually engage in a full hearing assessment at least every two years. Mm -hmm. Um, So similar to your eye test or something like that, it's always an ongoing process and ensuring that we're keeping up with the hearing loss um, and making sure we know if anything's changing over time.
1: And does that, this might get a little technical here, but when you're assessing somebody's hearing, are you assessing for different frequencies that are better responded to?
0: Yeah, that's right. Yep, so we test the whole frequency spectrum specifically designed for speech. And that works at a decibel range. So we'll test each frequency at a range of decibels. And when we get the most recurrent response from the client, that sort of becomes their hearing threshold of where they can detect that frequency at that decibel range.
1: Right. And then... If you're having an assistive device, can that be tailored to the specific frequency needs of an individual?
0: Yep, correct. So once we've identified the hearing, that's populated into a data sheet called an audiogram. Mm -hmm. And then when we go into a device fitting, the audiogram is specifically tailored to that device. And then your audiologist will work within the software to make adjustments, big adjustments, minor adjustments, to clarity, to pitch, to balance, all those types of things to make sure that you're comfortable Um, because it's definitely not a one-size-fits-all. You could see two people get the same device or the same assistive technology and maybe have a similar looking hearing loss from an audiogram point of view. But there's so many factors. You know, person A may have had their hearing loss for only a year or two Mm -hmm. and then person B might have had Uh, progressive hearing loss that's been declining over the last 10 years Um, and those two scenarios might look very different for what sounds comfortable to that person's ears, what speech sounds then sound like, how they can tolerate the volume of sound, all those sorts of things come into play.
1: That's a great way to outline that people experience hearing loss very differently right? and they're all going to require different services and, and different methods of communication.
0: Yep, absolutely. Yep.
1: Is it the case, like if somebody is not hearing the lower end of the frequency spectrum super well, that male voices would be harder to understand or or hear than female voices? Is that possible?
0: Yep, that's right. Yep, that's often what we hear. So, you know, when we see someone for the first time, we'll take their case history and we'll sort of get an idea of how they're feeling in their day-to-day life. And it often is things like that. It's like, oh, it's just softly spoken people I can't hear or it tends to just be my grandsons who have a higher pitched voice or a lower pitched voice. So wherever your hearing loss is occurring, it will very much determine which sounds become maybe sharper or clearer or maybe a little bit warmer and a little bit muddier sounding to you. Hmm. And so then we would work with the technology to then cater for where those gaps are.
1: Yeah, that can explain why you know I'm sure that people have been frustrated like why can't grandma hear me but mm. she can hear my brother or
0: mm-hmm. yeah absolutely that's that selective hearing isn't it
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly hey Liz this is this has been great we've covered heaps and we've really powered through a lot of different topics here Liz thanks so much for your time today
0: awesome thanks very much Ash
1: well we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Age Care Enrichment Podcast brought to you by Silver Adventures Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. And if you're enjoying it, please leave us a review. We'd really appreciate it. If you're interested in finding out how immersive virtual reality experiences can enrich the lives of older adults, visit the Silver Adventures website today at www.silveradventures.com.au. See you next week.